This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Wow. Louder than I anticipated. Yeah. Hey, everybody. This is Joshua Lewis of The Remnant Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Got a very exciting episode for you today. We're going to be talking about preaching the gospel, uh, how it should be done, when it should be done. Is there other where it should be done? I don't know. How? Yeah. I don't know. When? Where? Anyway, uh, with us in studio uh, on a computer screen, we have Dr. Jim Shaddix from the South Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary. You guys win for having the most acronyms in your name. Congratulations, sir. And again, congratulations for that background. It is very interesting. Uh, most theologians, uh, we grade them on their background, and you get an A plus, sir. So is that that so? So the University of Alabama a blanket on the couch that counts for points? I, I it, guess it doesn't. It doesn't offend me. Um, but there are many of our viewers who have just clicked off, uh, and I appreciate you for doing that today. Uh, 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 Miller, are you, are, you a, are you a football guy? I, I don't actually know this I about mean, you. You know, I was kind of a, they called guys like me two percenters because I would, I would go to the games on occasion, but I would never watch one on TV, really. So I went to A&M. So, uh, so that, there, there that is. For those of you who are watching, uh, you've never been to Remnant Radio before. We are a theology podcast uh, broadcast. We're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, the whole nine. But our purpose here is to uh, challenge tradition. And the best way that we can do that is have different pastors and teachers come on uh, with their understanding of Scripture and help us challenge that tradition. So we have Methodists, Lutheran, Presbyterians, Pentecostal Charismatics all come on the show to discuss theological topics to expose you to a various view of theology and beliefs. And the ultimate goal in doing so is to empower you for practical ministry. According to John seventeen three, uh, eternal life is to know God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. So as we're studying theology, the nature of God, who God is, and how we really relate to him, we believe it will transform and impact your day-to-day life. So that's who we are. Uh, And on the other line here, we've got Dr. Jim Shaddix. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry, sir. Um, Well, thank you, Josh. And and before I do that, let me just say thank you for uh, the opportunity to be with you, Michael. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So uh, yes, my name is Jim Shaddix. Uh, I serve as a W.A. Criswell Professor of Expository Preaching uh, here at Southeastern Seminary. Uh, Southeastern is one of six uh, Southern Baptist seminaries in the continental U.S., and so we're the one that's kind of the farthest east, you know, on the East Coast and uh, housed on the old Wake Forest University campus, um, which is hasn't been in Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest University hadn't been in Wake Forest, North Carolina, for uh, uh, over fifty years now. A lot of people don't know that, but we're blessed to be able to have their old campus and uh, be able to help equip students to uh, uh, serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission, preach God's word, and uh, so it's a it's a joy. 
to to be able to be able to serve here. This is the second school that I have taught in. I taught at New Orleans Seminary for about eleven years. Uh, served as the pastor, uh, senior pastor of four churches. Um, you know, through the course of uh, my ministry and. Um, all the way from a church plant, um, which was my first church actually in the Dallas Fort Worth area a long time ago, and uh, to some larger churches. And so, uh, just uh, had the privilege of, uh, you know, what I consider to be the front lines of Christian ministry. And, uh, love the pastorate, love the local church, and love training pastors. And so, uh, love what I do. Can't believe they pay me to do it, uh, but uh, glad right. to be able to have that opportunity. I've been married to my wife, Deborah, for 36 years. Uh, we have three uh, grown and married children uh, who've blessed us with eight grandkids. And so we're enjoying the, uh, the empty nest years and also the grand, you know, the grandparenting uh, years. So uh, that's, that's kind of a neat, neat stage of life. Yeah. So if, if I'm correct, and I've heard uh, J.D. Greer speak at a couple of these seminaries, but if I'm correct, he says that Southeastern has within a, obviously it's a 20 mile circumference, the 10 most missionary sending Baptist churches in America are surrounding uh, Southeastern. Is that correct? I think, I, I think this, the this, this stat is, if I remember correctly, five of the top 10. Oh, there it is. Uh, oh, okay. You know, so it's not all 10 of them, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I do think we, you know, we have uh, uh, a lot of the, the top sending churches, obviously some of those, you know, that, that has to do with uh, proximity to the school, but it also is a great testimony to, um, you know, the, the emphasis of our institution and in trying to mobilize students to go to the nations and, uh, and then, you know, to be able to do that through some really, really healthy churches, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed to, to be able to have churches like the Summit and Imago Day and uh, many other churches right here, you know, uh, close by that are uh, doing an incredible job, not only of doing healthy preaching, uh, but uh, really, you know, just keeping the, the vision of why we're on the planet, you know, before their members. So, yeah, we're, we're blessed in that way. Excellent. So let's kind of break into the discussion today, if we can. Uh, what is preaching? Give us a definition of what is because pre- you said there are these churches out there who are preaching healthy sermons. I think by definition there can be unhealthy sh- sermons. So then we have to kind of uh, determine what is preaching God's work. What is what is the the homiletic? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to say do you differentiate between a healthy sermon versus uh, preaching. Even is there? A difference? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I would define and I, I would use the term uh, exposition or expository preaching because I, I, I do think that all, uh, uh, you know, the bread and butter of a pastor's ministry ought to be biblical exposition. I know preaching is a large discussion and there's this big umbrella of all kinds of things that we could, you know, put in there. Uh, V.L. Stanfield defined it very simply as giving the Bible a voice, uh, you know, a a long time ago. And I I think that's a good basic definition. I would define exposition or expository preaching as um, the process of laying open a text in such a way that the Holy Spirit's intended meaning uh, and accompanying power uh, are brought to bear on the on the hearts and, and lives of contemporary listeners. Uh, 
so I, you know, I, I think preaching is a process, uh, you know, just from the standpoint that it, it, it's not just the delivery of it, uh, the fruit of it, but it's something that starts offline, um, you know, a long time before a preacher gets up to preach. And, and that process includes, studying the Bible to find out what God says uh, in order to be able to ultimately stand up and say to people, here's what God says, you know, so uh, that, you know, the, the goal uh, is to find out what God says so that people can hear his voice. I appreciate what, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Michael, you said just or alluded to the difference between sermons and preaching Um you know, sermons, that that's not, you know, a sermon is a Latin term from a, you know, for a public discourse, you can, you can get up in public and talk about anything. I, I'm, I'm really not that interested in sermons. Mm. Uh, I am interested in preaching, uh, which I, I think implies making sure that people hear the voice of God, um, you know, as it is proclaimed, because, you know, his voice, uh, Communicating his truth is the only chance people have of being transformed into the image of Christ. And that's what I would say the goal, you know, is of preaching is for people to be recreated into Christ's image. Um, you know, obviously that begins with conversion and people being justified and adopted into God's family. But that's just the beginning point of a process uh, that God's supernatural truth works in people's lives in uh, in reshaping them, reforming them uh, to look like Jesus. Excellent. So when you you mentioned expositional preaching, and that is a uh, favorite word of many of us in the uh, evangelical conservative evangelical, conservative evangelical world. Yeah, yeah. We we everyone says we love expositional preaching. Now, some people would say expositional preaching could be as simple as uh, making. The, the meaning of the sermon, the meaning of the text, right? So, so if I read through a text and here's the meaning of that, of that, that text, I'm going to make that the meaning of my sermon. Here's, I see this one, two, three in the chapter. This is one, two, three. That's my sermon. Now, others would go as far to say that expository preaching is verse by verse through the Bible, that process, whereas some would say, you know, if you take one chapter over here and then one chapter over there, it's almost topical preaching. Uh, how do you define expository preaching? So I, I think there's, 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 and you've described them both. I think there's two, you know, two kinds of exposition. Uh, I, I would describe, you know, or what I would describe as systematic exposition is preaching through uh, books of the Bible or extended portions of the Bible and just going through them systematically. Uh, and I do think that that ought to be the bread and butter of a pastor's ministry. Um, we have the best chance of uh, interpreting a passage, you know, passages correctly in their context. So obviously when we're preaching in context, um, you know, we, we put our, we, we posture ourselves, you know, to be able to, you know, to see every passage of scripture in light of what came before it, what comes after it and that type of thing. Uh, but I, but I think that, you know, ex exposition, because it is a process of finding out what God intended to say in every passage of scripture, uh, I think you can take a random paragraph, um, uh, or, 
you know, some people use the term pericope, uh, you know, a, a, a section, uh, you know, that you, you are able to study and, you know, study it in its context uh, and, and interpret it correctly and do an exposition of that passage of scripture. You know, so I, I could jump into, you know, any place in the Bible. And as long as I, you know, as long as I interpret it in its context, you know, to discover, you know, why God put that, that in the Bible, I, I think you can do an expository sermon. Uh, it's just a whole lot easier. Uh, to do it, you know, as you're, as you're teaching through the, you know, the scriptures systematically. So you said that your bread and butter, the bread and butter of a pastor should be uh, systematic expository preaching where you do go verse by verse, at least over a, a large chunk of one book, uh, if not the whole book. Um, what is your take on topical preaching? Well, it all comes back to in, interpretation, you know, and, and really what you mean by topical preaching. You know, if if we're talking about topical preaching from the standpoint of, uh, you, you know, you're you're looking at different points that are draw each of which are drawn from different places in Scripture. You know, so let's say I've got a, you know, a four point message and one of my points is based on a verse in Proverbs and one, you know, is, and they're all talking about, you know, say, um, you know, uh, gossip, you know, let's just pull that out of the air. And I pull one verse from Proverbs and then I've got another person, you know, verse from James and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, that's not, to say that we, you know, we may not be able to communicate some things that can be found in the Bible uh, that way. The problem is, is whether or not we are communicating what God intended to say in each of those passages of Scripture. Uh, so it, proper it, interpretation in each passage. Exactly, right? because I've got a responsibility to make sure that I'm saying what God said, not just using what God said to support something that I want to say. Um, what we call cherry picking, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and the, you know, you can do a top, you may do a topical message and not preach heresy, uh, but that's not the issue. The issue is, did we say what God was intending to say? Uh, you know, because in his wisdom, uh, you know, he has given us in his word, uh, what he has determined is necessary for our sanctification and our recreation into Christ Jesus. He didn't just give us a book to serve as an encyclopedia or a dictionary or other kind of reference work from which we draw subjects. Um, you know, he, he wrote us a letter. He, he, he gave us his revelation that is necessary for our recreation into Christ. And so the integrity of, of is our sermon saying what God intended to say, that just becomes a whole lot harder to do uh, in a topical development. So now, for example, like you could, you could make a a topical sermon about um, uh, socialism, right? And you could go and cherry pick certain verses all over the Bible and, oh, look, the kingdom is socialistic. Or, um, you know, and that's your point to say that it could be 
Uh, there's a higher pr- yeah. probability for error in a topical sermon, whereas it can be very helpful as well, like the Trinity. Sure. If you're going to preach a sermon on the Trinity, it, it's almost impossible to preach a sermon on the Trinity authoritatively from one specific text. I mean, you can do, you know, creation, you can do Jesus's baptism, but to have an overarching thematic approach to the totality of Scripture, you're going to need a little bit extra girth there. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and because because I would I would take that back and tie it to why I use the you know the term bread and butter uh, that doesn't suggest that that's all a pastor is going to you know need to do a pastor is going to need to teach uh, some theology sometimes from a systematic standpoint which would be more topically developed uh, but but I think a diet a steady diet if the bread and butter becomes topical uh, messages then the revelation, the way God gave it to us, you know, in its context, that becomes neglected uh, and that that gets de-emphasized. So that's why I say, you know, you know, I, I would I would contend that a pastor's is bread and butter ought to be systematic exposition. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to from time to time need to develop some theological subjects, uh, you know, topically. But I would say uh, there is a difference between the topic of the Trinity and the topic of, say, well, in one of the classic examples I would use is uh, parenting strong-willed children. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and, and so both, uh, both of those, you know, uh, I would contend are relevant issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, uh, I just think God spoke on the Trinity. I don't know that I can go into the Bible and with legitimacy say mm, the author's God intent. Spoke. Exactly. You know, God spoke on, you know, on a subject, you know, a, a subject like raising a strong will child. So uh, the problem, you know, the, the problem with topical trends through the through, you know, through the centuries has not been preaching on the Trinity. The problem has been using the Bible as a reference point to develop what we perceive to be relevant or practical subjects that are going to be helpful for people. We can, we can rabbit trail yeah, on we, that one for a minute. I, I've got a follow-up question just because um, this has been an ongoing conversation for Josh and I for a little oh, while yeah. now. But um, what, what we've seen also is in um, a sort of non-denominational and charismatic movements, there's a lot of preaching that's topical where it's not only about it being in context. It's um, – the pastor saying, what God is saying to me today is, so using a, a, a parable out of the scriptures or, or a story in the gospels and then applying it to um, a modern day situation, no different than um, slavery in the United States and, and people singing songs about coming out of Egypt or teachings about slaves coming out of Egypt to promote a certain political agenda. Um, what What's your thought on that. And do you know what I mean by that sort of revelatory expressions of scripture? Uh, say that, that last question again, I, I didn't hear you. Well, I don't even know if that's the right term for it. Maybe you can help I, me. On yeah, this. I know. I know what you're talking about. He, he's, 
more asking that when when we come to uh, a scripture, can we use a text and allegorize it in such a way that applies to a specific situation? He, he used the example that uh, during the abolition and those kinds of things, we were taking songs about Egypt uh, and coming out of slavery and applying it to uh, slavery in America. So how how do we um, allow a text to be relevant for its context without hyper spiritualizing it uh, and and really, I mean, bastardizing it for for uh, for lack of a better term. On uh, it was never intended to be applied this way, but but we're going to take it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and yeah. even further than that, I've got some other examples. I'd be curious to get your take on. Yeah, you know, there, there has to be a there has to be integrity in our application as well as our, our explanation of a text, you know? So I, I think that, uh, you know, to use some terms that Haddon Robinson used a number of years ago that, you know, we have to start in the interpretation process and the, you know, the study of a passage with the theology of the text. Uh, that theology then is going to determine uh, the timeless truths that come out of a passage of scripture. And then those timeless truths have to drive the practical applications that we make. And so we don't, we don't have the freedom, uh, to just take a passage of scripture and jump from something in the text to a contemporary situation. Uh, we have a responsibility of, you know, of asking the question, what is, what does the text teach us about God? What does it teach us about man? What does it teach us about the gospel? Uh, you know, why is this in the, and then, all right, what is true for all people of all time based upon that? And then from there, okay, are there some particular ways? I, I think the example, you know, are there some particular ways that we live this out and, you know, we demonstrate uh, lives aligned with this troop? I think the particular example that you were giving uh, skips some of those steps. You know, it takes an idea or a concept and it bypasses the theology, uh, of of the passage of scripture in order to connect it somewhere over here, you know, in our day and time, um, you know, the, the, the you mentioned the word allegory, you know, yes, the, the vast majority of, you know, of allegory, um, you know, I think that is done and, and has been done and, you know, in an interpret interpretation study is, you know, is, is an abuse is making the text say something that it say. And the only reason I, I, I say that with some hesitancy is because, uh, you know, there certainly seem to be some places where, you know, a, a biblical author maybe, uh, you know, applied some allegory, uh, but you have to look at, at, and you've got to look at it to see whether, you know, allegory is, you know, what is it doing with the intended meaning of the passage of Scripture? Yeah, so we, we definitely need to pick up on that. But I want to make sure everyone who's listening knows why we're talking yeah. about it. Because this is really ap- applicable to pastors and teachers. But for the congregant who's sitting here listening to, okay, they're talking about sermons. How does this apply to me? One of the things that's really important that we acknowledge is uh, it's a very popular trend. It's been coined. It's, it's kind of like a, a repeat word here but moral therapeutic deism, the idea that we go to the text to become better people. And what you're talking about is topical preaching often does that. 
How do I go to the Bible for all of my answers? I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better farmer. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better this, this, and that. But then we come to the text outside of the author's intended. Yeah, the context at that point and the author's intended meaning is yeah. no is superfluous for those kind of sermons that really it's just about the how do I become a better person? And it really yeah. sells a lot of books. And yeah, that's one of the absolutely. reasons it's become very popular. When, is, I think of the the country being founded, and um, I, this could be a bit of a stretch, but the idea of manifest destiny, the way people were looking at United States as the new promised land of Israel and and sort of this, uh, the U.S. being the new Israel, the new chosen people of God. Um, I mean, there was a lot of that rhetoric. Um, yeah. Well, you, you know, one of the issues, and this, this may be, uh, you know, farther out, out of a conversation than, than you want to go, but I'll throw it out there and then do what one of the issues in my estimation that has been the most neglected in what we're talking about here uh, is the issue of the purpose of the Bible. Uh, you know, in my own denomination, we went through a theological controversy a number of years ago, grateful for that journey. Um, you, you know, the, the, just the, the, the battle for uh the authority of scripture and the nature of scripture and all those things are just really, really important. But we talked in that a lot about things like the authority of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture, but very rarely did we ever talk about the purpose of scripture. Uh, and, uh, you know, ultimately what you think about the purpose of the Bible, why it was given to us uh, is, is, is going to determine the way that you preach and teach the Bible and the way you interpret it. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, just as some examples, uh, if you think that the purpose of the Bible is just to get people converted, then, you know, every one of your sermons are going to be just some form of the four spiritual laws or the three circles or, you know, the, the Roman road, road. you know, uh, they're going to be evangelistic messages. And there are a lot of churches out there that that's exactly what every Sunday is. If you think the Bible is, uh, uh, you know, is intended to be an answer book. In other words, it's, it's given to answer every question, you know, that people are asking, then that's what your sermons are going to do. They're going to find some question. They're going to, make the Bible answer that. Um, the God's promises type, you know, yeah. Yeah. If you think the Bible and this, this probably is the most common one. If you think it's a, it was intended to be a practical manual for daily living, uh, then, you know, all of your messages are going to be, you know, how do you raise strong willed children? You know, how do you balance your budget? How do you love your mother better? You know, and, and, you know, things like that, practical stuff, you know, important stuff, but that, that's rooted in this is what I think about, you know, the, the Bible. Um, but if the Bible wasn't, you know, all I got to do to show it's not an answer book, to, you know, intended to be an answer book is come up with one question that the Bible doesn't answer. Queer uh, dinosaurs. Exactly. You know, a relevant subject. It's a, you know, it's a question that's out there. But, you know, and we're pretty pretty sure that those critters existed or even but, zebras i ain't got no yeah. zebras in the bible <laughs> when in answering that question you're going to also deal with is the bible's purpose to show you certain like all history or just a certain part of the yeah. world's history the relevant portions yeah of uh, all of nature or just certain things in human nature and nature of god um i mean there's there's a lot of I would like yeah. to ask I would, I, I the want to know your answer to yeah, that. Yeah, so so when we talk about 
what I assume, and, and I'll, I'll, you toss this, you correct me on this one, but the redemptive historical narrative of the scripture. There's this, this massive meta narrative that's going throughout scripture how man is bad, God is good, God saves man even though they're bad. And it glorifies God and shows how good he is. I mean, these are layman's terms here. Uh, and, and God is continually saving his people in the midst of their wickedness and unfaithfulness. Uh, would you would you find that to be a, a relatively accurate representation of what Scripture is? Yeah, I would I would probably uh, lean into it just a, a bit more uh, with something I've already mentioned, and that is the the Imago Dei, you mm-hmm. know, the image of Christ. Uh, you know, the Bible is bookended by the same subject. You know, it it ends where it begins. God creates heaven and earth. He creates man in his image. Sin messes that up, which is exactly what you're talking about. And the entire Bible from that point on is the story of God fixing that. And when the Bible closes, it closes with the recreation of heaven and earth and the recreation of mankind into, uh, you know, in, into the Imago Dei. And so you, it is, it's, it's that story. This is what God's doing. You know, the Bible doesn't contain every factual truth in history. Uh, it contains God's truth. that is necessary for that to happen, you know, mm-hmm. for that recreative process to take place. And that is the thing in my estimation that builds the fences in our, not just our preaching and teaching, but the way we as Christians approach the Bible and keeps us from coming up with interpretations like you brothers mentioned, you know, and the, you know, the, the, the uh, what God's done in America or, you Manifest know, I can, destiny. I can so give you a good example that I love to use is the, the David and Goliath narrative, right? So oh, yeah. David goes and kills Goliath. This is a frequent used illustration by me. Uh, but then, you know, he goes to, to Saul and tries to put on the armor and it doesn't fit. And then he goes out and picks up the rocks. And in all these evangelical churches, like that sermon means uh, you can't fight Goliath with someone else's gifts and callings. You've got to right. go out there and do it yourself and got to find, you know, your own rock and your own stone. And these five stones represent da 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 da. And the river represents the Holy Spirit. And it could be a true statement in that you shouldn't, uh, you should, you know, allow God to use you in the gifts and callings that he's given you, but go use a text that says that instead of using this text and allegorizing it. Um, and, and, and that would be my example of abusing a narrative story as an allegory or using a narrative as a a illustration. The question is, can you rightfully call that preaching God's word in that moment? If that's your sermon. And turn it over to Dr. Yeah. <laughs> Call everybody heretic. Go for it. <laughs> well, you we may not be every... teaching heresy, but you may not be preaching. The that's word. why that's we have other question. people come on that are smarter than us because we'll make them make the hard statements. Yes, we'll back yeah, out yeah. of the way. What do you think, sir? Here's what the scholar away. says. Yeah. <laughs> if you define preaching as, uh, you know, just talking in public, proclaiming in public something about God, then sure, it's preaching. I just don't think that's what. You know, I, I don't think that's how we define preaching. Um, Give us your def- you know, definitions. Yeah. Well, see, I think I think he's done that. Uh, I think yeah. that we as um, so what I would be curious of is how we can take narrative text, because I think that there is a way to take a narrative text and and approach it in an allegorical sense. Like Paul does it with uh, Hagar and Sarah. Right. He goes, now, these two women, I'm going to speak an allegory to you. These two women, this is what they represent. One. Uh, tried to force God's will, produced Ishmael. One believed in faith, produced Isaac. Here's the law. Here's the promise. 
boom, right there for you. And then you've got these texts like uh, uh, Moses hits the rock, right? Boom, Moses hits the rock, water comes out. Moses gets angry, hits the rock a second time later on in the text, uh, and then he's not allowed into the promise. Well, that's, you know, we could preach a whole sermon on anger, or we could look at Hebrews, and it says that we all drank from the same spiritual rock, and that Jesus was only to be struck once. Uh, uh, you know, we go, oh, look, this is a redemptive historical narrative, and you could read that into the text, the ram that's caught in the thicket. So when is it okay to read that into the text? Exactly. There's and no Hebrews your, account. Your argument is that when it's a redemptive historical narrative, when, when it's, it's tying it back to the the gospel of Jesus and salvation, that's okay. I, I think the Holy Spirit, when when the, the ram is in the thicket, Yeah, there's no Hebrews text that says that ram represents Jesus. But I think if you don't, if you can't see that, then you're almost you're almost missing the point that the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate. So so what What is it okay to allegorize? Well, I I I don't believe that just because we tie it to the redemptive historical that that is legitimate interpretation and and always in balance. Otherwise, we would have to include, you know, the approach to you know, redemptive, historical, Christ-centered preaching that says anytime we run across the color red, that's the blood of Christ. Sure. Uh, or anytime we run that's across a good point. Wood, that's a great point. Yeah. Anytime we run across wood in the Bible, you know, it's it's the cross. I just don't think that solid. Uh, and I'll use these you know terms: grammatical, historical, theological. Um, Christological principles of interpretation allow us to go there because while we, there's a difference between even some of these biblical authors you're talking about, I think there's a difference in an author using something as an illustration uh, and actually, you know, revealing, uh, you know, God's truth that is necessary for the, you know, the accomplishment of this purpose and this plan. So, Every passage of scripture and every, you know, every uh, image, uh, every narrative has to stand on its own merit. It has to be considered in its context. It has to, we have to apply, you know, principles, right principles of interpretation to it, I think, before we can determine what is the connection to the redemptive historical. And and not every, every passage of scripture, not every genre is intended to connect uh, in the same way. Uh, This has been part of the problem, I think, in the whole, you know, Christ-centered, redemptive story, is we've tried to put everything in the same category, you know, or we've got to make it connect the same way. Uh, You know, if you think you're going to find Jesus in every passage of Scripture, um, you know, uh, in the same way, uh, I think that's what causes us to end up making connections that we we can't make. You can't substantiate. I've, I've heard that a lot. That uh, yeah. that these are those that testify about me. So there's yeah. a sense in which people believe that if it's testifying about or that every single verse of scripture, you should look at it and see testimony and see Jesus in that verse. Which yeah. I'm like, really? Judas went and hung himself. Yeah, you're supposed to see, like, really? Jesus is in every single verse? And they'll use other things, like, well, it says he's the word. And I'm like, is that what that means? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and 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 that's where I, I think, and I'm going to, you know, pick on our own camp for a second. I think this is where uh, one of the places expositors have, have gotten in trouble is we've tried to treat 
every genre the same way, uh, you know, to, to we, we've tried to expound on every literary genre in the Bible the same way. And uh, the fact is that truth was communicated differently through different genres. So truth is not communicated the same way through Paul's uh, epistles as it is in a historical narrative passage. But yet, if we try, you know, we look at one of Paul's epistles and we see precept upon precept principles. So we see we can take this paragraph and we can identify a thought block so what do we do? You know, we go over to, you know, whether it's Acts or First Samuel, uh, and we think, okay, that's what we got to do. So we take a paragraph, which is just one little scene in a larger narrative, and we try to preach it the same way we do Paul's. And consequently, we end up making it say something, you know, say things that it, it never was intended. never intended yeah. to say because that little paragraph in the historical narrative is just one piece of the story in which God is accomplishing a particular. So, you know, we, as expositors, we've got to, you know, we got to learn how to, you know, to uh, give due allegiance to the different literary genres and what God was trying to accomplish in revealing truth in those, those different, you know, genres. And one of the reasons that this is so important to us is because the way that we preach a text will be the way that the congregant studies the Bible. Yeah, so as they'll interpret they it the Bible. at home. This is, this is how I came to this understanding of this text. This is what this means. This is what this means. This is what this means. And, and, and this is how I came to those conclusions. They're going to take that sect of information and they're going to go home and try to read their Bible that way. So if every text is a spiritual meaning of something, they're always going to look past the author's intended purpose to find some deep spiritual meaning, and they're going to completely miss the text. So it's more important than just, you know, there's a right way and wrong way to preach. If, if we preach incorrectly, the congregation then learns how to read incorrectly. And I yeah. think that and, they're going to come to all kinds of crazy conclusions. It that leads way. to how they apply these principles to their lives Yeah, at the end of the day, how they're transformed. Which, by the way, goes full circle back to where we started when we were talking about systematic exposition or even the you know legitimate topical preaching. One of the biggest benefits of systematic exposition uh, is that you know our, our listeners are able to to look and listen to that and say, hey, I can do that. I can I read the Bible like that. They don't read the Bible topically. This is one of the reasons devotional books you know have become so popular is because they've heard preachers do that so mm-hmm. many times. Just take a segment, a verse, or a thought, you know, and and you know find all of this spiritual meaning. But but people can't go home after listening to us develop something even systematically. They don't read the Bible like that, but they can open the Bible and read it, you know, and it's read context. a paragraph or read a chapter. And so we help them, you know, do that. We model it for them. Well, I mean, and there's this danger that if I make a point and I have enough source texts to prove that point, then you know, uh, Arianism becomes very popular in our churches because they got on Google and they found a verse about Jesus being a created being. And then they saw, oh, he's the firstborn of all creation. And oh, he's the Alpha and Omega, which means he has a beginning and an end. And, and they start seeing all of these verses and suddenly 
any heretical doctrine, as we've studied, as we talked about before, all heresy comes from the Bible. Um, yeah. They're going to just source improper scripture, apply it to whatever Google you know search they come up to, and there's going to be all kinds of weird doctrines and heretical teachings that have not been historical throughout Christendom. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're kind of getting into a good deal of hermeneutics here because we're also asking how do you interpret scriptures um, because you can't preach it unless you're interpreting it correctly. You're, you're not actually... Uh, call it, I guess we wouldn't qualify it as really preaching the scriptures. Um, I, go ahead. Michael, was, I'm sorry. I'm still having a hard time hearing you. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I don't want to miss what you just said. If you'd say that again, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's probably because I keep turning to Josh, and so it cuts my <laughs> mic a little bit. Um, I was saying that, that what we're really talking about on some level is also hermeneutics, uh, how, to, how to interpret the scriptures, um, because you can't very well preach the scriptures if you're not properly interpreting them when you're studying them on your own. And so when we're preaching uh, expository, systematic expository preaching, it it uh, isn't just teaching our, our um, people the information in the scriptures. It's also teaching them how to study the scriptures in the same yes. breath. Right. That's right. So when, when uh, looking to, um, sorry, I'm going to get this camera right. Eventually uh, when, when talking to a, an average churchgoer and, and they're saying, Oh, I love this church because of their children's ministry. I love this church because of their worship. I love their church. Where, where do you place preaching um, in line with priority? And then when talking to maybe a family member or a friend, someone who's relatively close to you and, and then to communicate to them, uh, uh, this is what I would recommend preaching in the pulpit to look like. So two questions there. How important is preaching? And secondly, what what would you give a layperson to help them figure out if they're hearing good, healthy, expositional preaching week in and week out? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think preaching is the only thing a pastor does. I but I think it, it better be the first thing that he does. Uh, and I I say that to answer your question, you know, to say that I, I think that preaching is, uh, it, it's the beginning point of, uh, of what we do, what we are as a church and what we do as a church simply because, and this goes back to, if you look at preaching as just sermons, you know, that that's one thing. But if you look at preaching as here is the voice of God, God is speaking, God is revealing himself, then, you know, then, then everything starts at that point. You know, you mentioned children's programs. Uh, uh, our children's programs ought to be driven by the reason the churches exist, you know, the identity of the church. Well, where do we discover that? We discover it in God's word. How do we know God's word? We know God's word as it is taught to us, it is proclaimed, and certainly, yes, as we encounter it. So the revelation of God is, you know, letting God speak, everything else is a response to that. You know, uh, our, you know, our musical worship, our, our giving, our, our praying, everything, our programming, everything, you know, and so if we believe in that there is an otherworldly event happening when the word is preached mm. because of our convictions about the nature of the word, everything starts at that point. Um, and so that, in my estimation, makes uh, preaching 
not just really important, but absolutely essential uh, for everything else, you know, that we do uh, in, in, in the church, not to mention the sanctification of believers, you know, the uh, transformation, the recreation of people in, into Christ's image. And so everything's going to flow, you know, from that. And so I think it's got to be the beginning place. This is what's uh, just, you know, a little pet peeve here. Um, this is what, it, and, and I think we're doing a better job of this than, than we were in a lot of circles, but very grateful for the church planting movement. Uh, and, you know, we need to continue to see that, to foster that. I think that's absolutely, but we, we went through a season. I know even in our own denomination where we were, we were talking about church planting disconnected from the preaching event. Um, you know, as if, uh, okay, this is something you can get to later, but Mm. uh, there are all these other components here to, you know, to, to church planting, um, you know, the, the, the disconnect between the, the supernatural implications of what the word does, the proclaimed word does as if we could grow a church or see a church grow in a way that honors God you know, disconnected from that. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, you know, whether it's a new church, established church, uh, we, we need to hear God speak. We need to hear his voice. And if we believe preaching, the preaching event is the primary way that we do that in community, then there's nothing more important, you know, than, than that. That doesn't mean that's all there is to it. But right. it's got to be it's got to be the beginning place. We've discussed this probably in great length, um, like the Heidelberg Catechism says there's three essential aspects of the church, preaching God's word, administration of the sacraments and church discipline. And many people would would uh, allow church discipline and preaching God's word to be one and the same thing. Um, but as as we're talking about this, one thing that I'm really interested in your opinion on is what you call, I, I believe you call the anointing or the unction of the preacher. Um, and, and what that looks like. And, and be be aware that you're probably speaking to a, a, a larger charismatic audience than you might be used to. And that word anointing, that word. Uh, uh, it's a buzzword. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a buzzword that means a completely different things in those circles than to, it, to my audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So so yeah. give, give us what is what is the unction of a preacher when they're listening? OK, now I know what expositional preaching is. Now I know that it's valuable. Well, what should it hear? What should I what should I be feeling? What should I be experiencing in the pew? Uh, from someone who's under unction. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think that one of the reasons that, that that buzzword, it takes on a life of its own is because, you know, the common words we use, anointing and unction, are really not the best words to describe what we're talking about when we talk about the Spirit's work in in the preaching moment. Uh, the, the, act, the most, the most <laughs> do, do what? Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Uh, the most accurate term, it doesn't mean by the bit. So let me just press pause there and say, that doesn't mean, I don't think it's a real concept because right. I do think it is a very biblical concept, but the most accurate term is the filling of the spirit. Um, and so, uh, best, I think the best place to see this is in the Luke Acts narrative, um, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, the great, you know, Greek scholar, New Testament scholar, uh, 
he, uh, you know, calls attention. <laughs> he loves this translation. He's been talking about Phil of the Spirit. I, for I literally, I, you don't even know how, how, how what you're saying just is so exciting for me. Cause, so cause, keep going. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You better wait and see and see if I get the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Preach so, it. Uh, now, Bruce uh, just calls attention to the fact that Luke makes a distinction between by by virtue of the construction you know the grammatical construction he uses uh he he makes a distinction between uh the filling of the spirit uh as a passive act on the uh, you know on a proclaimer of god's word uh he makes a distinction between that and uh, uh the fullness of the spirit as an adjective or a character quality so consequently uh, there is a difference between, between someone what's full being, of the spirit and yeah, there, there's a difference in what's being described. Stay in Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy spirit, Acts chapter six, you know, in the listing of the seven, there's a difference in the construction there. And what happens in the previous chapters, when Peter stands up before the council and is filled mm-hmm. with the spirit, uh, and eight times in the Luke Acts narrative, uh, you, you see uh, uh, the, the filling of the Spirit being attached to someone who is proclaiming God's Word. And so there does seem to be in Scripture um, uh, this, this work of the Spirit in, in you know, what I would describe as the preaching moment, when the, the word is being preached, when the gospel is being proclaimed, uh, that is different from just that character quality of us, you know, being a person who walks in the fullness of the spirit. Uh, and so I do think uh, that there is an attendance of the Holy Spirit to the preaching moment that we variously refer to as the unction, as the anointing, um, you know, you know, things like that. And we see um, Christ, Christ speaks yeah. this way, doesn't he? Like yeah. in, in Luke, when he, sure. the spirit of the Lord is upon me, it has anointed me to preach. Like that's, yes. that is uh, an aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. So yeah. something that I've, the reason I'm going crazy here is because something I've said to Josh on multiple occasions, we've talked about this, is that uh, whenever you see the word filled with the spirit, Majority of the time, or every time, it's in connection with preaching a testimony about Jesus, and most often in the face of a hostile audience when one would be intrepidated, you know, scared to preach. And so to me, it's the fulfillment of what Jesus says, you know, don't plan beforehand what you're going to say, for at that time, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say. And so literally, Peter's brought before the Sanhedrin, uh, the very people who just crucified his Lord, our Lord. Uh, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and said, um, and you see that sort of a, as a repeated thing. And, and it's interesting that you bring up Stephen, who was a man full of the Spirit. Later on, it says, Stephen, filled with the Spirit, says. Yeah. Uh, so you, you see a difference in what's taking place with Stephen in that moment when he's about to be stoned. Yeah. Now, uh, I think, Josh, you... you uh, well, I, I don't remember the, when you were uh, phrasing your question, but... Uh, you know, what one of the, you know, obviously the question is asked, okay, well, how do we get that? What does it look like? All of those types of things. And I think this is where we get in trouble sometimes. It comes back to our, our bent toward pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we want to put this in a box and uh, I, I, I will 
will tell you that I, I believe that there is, is uh, a filling of the spirit for the preaching moment. And I believe that we can draw some things from scripture that would tell us, you know, okay, we need to align ourselves with certain things, but quite honestly, I don't think scripture gives us a whole lot of information on some formula or even how we measure it. Uh, You know, I hear guys talk a lot of time about, well, you know, it's there and you know when it's not there. Very subjective. I don't know. You know, yeah, it's that that's subjective or or will it always look that sometimes I think when the the spirit is working in great power, uh, people's hearts are melted. I think sometimes their hearts are hardened. Uh, And so we can't put it in these lists, the nice little, you know, packages that say, man, if the spirit of God is on you, then your church, people are always going to be saved and the church is going to grow. I, I don't, I don't think we can say that. That's, and I think we have to be very careful about trying to measure it. That that's God's business. You know, that that's his, our business is, I think to look at scripture and align ourselves with everything that, you know, that, that seems to be associated with that. Um, which by the way, I think includes how we handle a text of scripture. I think it goes back even to our study, you know, uh, in, you know, in, in trying to find out in a passage, what the Holy spirit is saying, how can I expect him to attend to my proclamation? If I'm not, if I don't care uh, about whether I get right what he was saying, you know, and so there, there's a lot. More. I think we have to align ourselves with everything that, you know, that, we, you know, we scripture would associate with the work of the spirit. And I, I think we need to pray for it um, because I, I think it's a reality. Uh, and I think there's some strong uh, connections in scripture between, you know, in the relationship between prayer and the effectual working of the Holy Spirit, you know, in, in our Christian lives, you know, in general, you know, much less the preaching event. Um, so I think we need to align ourselves with everything that we can, uh, but we need to be real careful about uh, putting a formula to it and also uh, really coming up with a criteria of measuring it. I think that's a, that's a healthy expectation and healthy counsel. I, uh, challenge in, in this sense, um, and let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, when we approach this as ministers, our goal is to be, well, I've studied the text to the best of my ability. I've prayed through my text to the best of my ability. I have expectation that Jesus is the Holy Spirit's going to be with me. Uh, and anytime that I'm in fear that the Holy Spirit will, will fill me with the words to say. So I go into this text, I go into this sermon preaching, expecting that the Holy Spirit's going to be there. The unction's going to be there. The anointing's going to be there because I've done everything to the best of my ability. And I trust Christ to manifest through his word and just standing in faith, believing that, expecting that to happen. That's really what we're asking not too narrowly defining or trying to control. No, I'm not that saying happens. if yeah. I do these 16 things 100% of yeah. the time, you know, well, that, everyone's going to be cut to the quick and put claw marks in the pews when we <laughs> preach sinners <laughs> in the hands of an angry God or, or whatever, you know. I uh, uh, Well, I think it is a great analogy by way of analogy would be uh, Hebrews 11 on faith. Um, yeah, sometimes faith looks like, you know, being rescued from the mouth of a lion, you know, parting the sea. Uh, and then sometimes it looks like giving your body up to be burned. Sometimes it looks like looks like you dying, not being rescued. So both of those are faith. Yeah. So so uh, would you would you encourage the preacher 
to you know faithfully approach the text and have the expectation that God will match his word, that God will, where Christ's word is proclaimed, Christ's body exists, where Christ's word is proclaimed, Christ's spirit rests. Uh, would, would you, would you give the, the preacher that kind of expectation or would you still want this level of, cause I don't want to, I don't want to create this workspace thing where we're going to pray this thing in and I'm really going to hope and like, I'm going to work really hard at this and, and God's going to show up. I, I don't know what the, what the balance is there or if there is balance or just mystery. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I would agree with what you're saying. I would not, and I don't think you are either, I, I would not eliminate or I wouldn't want to fail to include um, uh, sacrificial um, uh, prayer uh, as, as a part of this. They're just, they're, they're just seeing, there's too much in scripture. Why it's this way? Why God wired it this way? I I don't have all the answers for this, but there does seem to be a relationship between prayer and the effectual working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I agree with everything Ian Bounds believed, but I, I I'm a big Ian Bounds fan just with regard to the famine of, uh, you know, of praying among, you know, in pastors lives, uh, yeah. and seeking the face of God. Uh, I don't think prayer is a standalone, you know, at the neglect of like what Preaching. you were describing, you know, and the things leading up to that, but, uh, neither do, do I want to leave out, you know, the, the passionate sacrificial pursuit of God, pleading with him to attend to, you know, the proclamation of his words. That's, that's a healthy response. I like that. I'm comfortable mm-hmm. with that, that it's, you know, uh, inspiring here, as well. Here I am in the more charismatic camp saying, trust and expect God to do it. And then I feel like you're more in the, I don't want to say you're a cessationist camp, but you're definitely in the, in the, in the more conservative, uh, evangelical approach to, to scripture and your, your responses passionately pray and sacrifice and i feel like we're both trying to to challenge our own movement uh with our own uh but but i think that there's an answer right there in the middle somewhere Absolutely. uh that we both need to be I, i've heard it i hate this expression uh if, if you really think it like uh critically but you know you study like there's no holy spirit and then you preach like there's nothing but the holy spirit uh yeah. I, I i i think i've that? never heard that seminary <laughs> uh, uh uh i wasn't a fan of that thought process but i think that there is uh you get the heart behind there's it virtue yeah. in, in the sense that you're to study regularly faithfully continuously um and then you just expect christ to to manifest as you've done the best you can uh, with his text so yeah. we're, we're wrapping up we've only got a few more minutes left uh any takeaway thoughts uh Dr. Shaddix, or any, anything that you would like to also any to, to leave uh, us with products that you want to mention as well, or how people get in contact with you, all of the above. Yeah. Uh, well, just one, you know, one other thought to extend that last conversation is I, I, you know, I, this has been one of my big burdens, you know, in in the preaching it was actually the thing that ultimately I won't go into the whole story, but that led me into theological education you know, which is something I swore I would never do. You know, when I went to seminary, I just, I didn't want to do that, but God broke my heart with the realization early in my ministry during my first pastorate that it's possible for us to do all of this stuff we do as pastors and even to do it in a way that 
most people looking on from the outside would say we were successful. You know, we were effective, if, if you prefer that word. Uh, and I mean that from the standpoint of being able to see a church grow, you mm-hmm. know, in numbers. And we have a tendency to to measure things like that. But yet we we can do every bit of it our entire lives. You know, people looking on seemingly perceive us to be effective at what we do, but be doing every bit of it in the flesh. Um, and, you know, you can, you can know enough about leadership and administration. You can have a charismatic enough personality. You can be a really good orator. Um, you do one of those things and people will follow you, you know, you can draw a crowd, uh, but, but still not be doing anything otherworldly. And so heretics, heretics do this. They're very well. This, yeah. Exactly. You're, yeah. This issue of just our utter dependence on the spirit of God, you know, to attend to the preaching event is, uh, is, is huge. And I do think it's a, it's a crisis. I think we're in a crisis in it. And, um, um, that's, that's something that I just, I want to keep challenging myself on and encourage other preachers, you know, uh, you know, to, to do is as we, preach expositorily as we study the text, as we look to find the Holy Spirit's intended meaning, uh, let's still, you know, let's continue to be desperate for him to illuminate minds and stir hearts and change wills, you know, so. Yeah. So um, how, how do people get in contact with you, uh, follow you, listen to sermons, that kind of thing? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a huge social media person. I do have a Twitter account, so I, you know, I, I, I do spend some time on Twitter, uh, but not a, not a ton. Uh, if somebody really wants to get in touch with me, the best thing, you know, to do is to email me, uh, uh Shaddix at sebts.edu. And that, you know, that, that email is on our, the Southeastern website, you know, you can go there and get that. Uh, and just that, that's probably the, the best thing. Have you written so, anything that you'd run, want to tell everybody about? Uh, you know, the most recent book, uh, yeah, it's a, a little book that probably would stir some, uh, uh, you know, conversation, especially in our, you know, some, our theological camp, I think. Uh, I just released a little book, short book called Decisional Preaching. Um, and it is, uh, it is just, uh, you know, a book that is, uh, uh, trying to remind us that uh, preaching demands the truth of God's word always demands a verdict. It is not a book about a public altar call. Uh, I don't care whether somebody gives an altar call or not. I think that's negotiable. Um, but this book is saying, you know, whether you give some way for people to publicly express a decision or not, we've got a responsibility to compel people to say yes to the truth of God's word. And I think that's, I think that's missing for a lot of different reasons, but so that's out there. Decisional Rain of publication. Yeah. Uh, do what? D- decisional. Decisional city. preaching. Decisional, decisional preaching. Well, hey, you thank you so much for coming on. It has been yeah. an honor for you to come on today. Hey, everyone who is watching online, check us out at theremnantradio.com or our podcast, YouTube, uh, iTunes, the whole nine. Just look up theremnantradio.com and we'll, we'll be there on all platforms. Thank you so much for coming on again on the program and we'll be looking forward to next time. You guys tune in next Monday, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Amen. Hey, be blessed. Thank you so much for coming on again.
Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.